0: <laughs> yes, it's so great to see all of you. Listen, if we haven't met, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and it's, it's my um, pleasure to open up the Bible and teach from it today, and I'm excited that you're here. Um, during the announcements, Chris mentioned that in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Family Sunday on October 30th. Does that sound exciting? Let me use a different word. Let me use a different word. Does that sound chaotic? <laughs> That's the word. That's what Chris meant to say when he said it was going to be exciting. Chaos is what's going to ensue, but it's going to be awesome, isn't it? I've been talking to many parents over the last few weeks about wanting to worship with their children. And, and, um, of course, we never uh, preclude anyone from bringing their kids into service with them. We're totally fine with that. It's all good. But on on that Sunday, we're going to invite, we're shutting down the the kids' area downstairs. So if you have kids that are in grade grade school or whatever and and up, we're all going to be upstairs. So that's going to be awesome. And then we're going to do the baby dedications, which I think is going to be a fun uh, thing to do as well. So um, if you'd like to have your child dedicated, please sign up for that. We'd love to do that. We'd love to see this whole platform filled with people. Families that are raising their children in the admonition of the Lord, and we want to be a a church that helps with that. So, anyways, I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 1 today. We're going to do a a large portion of Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. So, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one underneath the seat close to you, and you could maybe borrow that. And if you don't own a Bible, You can take that Bible home with you. We want to give that to you. In fact, we just bought a bunch of new ones, and we just uh, filled up the chairs. So you're you're welcome to take one of those home with you. Now, if you already own a Bible and forgot to bring it, just leave that one for the next week, okay? You don't need to take that home with you, but if you want to read it for today, that's fine. But as you put your thumb there in Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to share a favorite verse of mine with you. I hope you guys have favorite verses, but one of my favorites is Hebrews 13 Eight. And they'll put the words on the screen. And it says this, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that a hope-filled scripture? That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, Today and forever. I love that the writer of Hebrews didn't say yesterday, today, and tomorrow, as if tomorrow sort of has some finality to it, but he says, and forever, that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is, to use the theological term, immutable. It just means unchanging, unwavering, that he's he's steady, he's solid. We oftentimes call him the rock, right? It, it it speaks to his permanence, his his stability in our lives. And and I love that the Bible doesn't just teach us or tell us what God is like by saying things like he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't just give us like a Bible verse to meditate on or read. But he also invites us to experience the divine attributes of God himself in the world around us. What I'm trying to say is we can, we can see the permanence of God in that scripture. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But hear me when I say this. But he's also showing it to us in other ways. Paul, the apostle, writes a letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, speaking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 16 says this, that for by him all things were created. By who? By Jesus. All things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Invisible, sorry. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, Jesus, and for him. So in the world that God has created, the invisible things and the visible things, God is Jesus, is, as he creates these things, he's revealing to us some of his divine attributes. And this is what Paul also says in Romans chapter 1. Another verse for you. We're building a little bit here, so bear with me. And Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that for his, Jesus, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that has been made, or in the things that have been made. So let's build on this for a little bit. So Jesus is the creator of all things. So in the beginning, when we read that in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, Jesus was the created, creative element in that. So Jesus creates everything, invisible, visible. And in the things that we see, we can see some of his divine attributes, namely his divine power and his nature. And one of the things we see about his nature in the world around us is his vastness. His giantness, I'm, I'm looking for the wrong word, but there's a, there's a theological term for the hugeness of who God is, okay? And you've sensed it when you've driven up to the Rocky Mountains. You've sensed it when you stood on the edge, the precipice of the Grand Canyon, and your knees go a little weak. And if you're, if you're like me and you're afraid of whales, you sense it when you get close to the ocean, right? <laughs> and it's so large and mysterious and spooky, and I don't wanna go on the ocean ever. Ever! Like whales are a thing. That's why I live in Illinois. There's no whales in a cornfield in Illinois. (laughs) But the greatness, you know, you, you sense it. How many people have heard others say this or you say this yourselves? Like when you want to get close to God, you go for a hike in nature. Why is this? Why is this? It's because what Paul is saying, that his divine nature, his attributes, his, his, what he's like as a person has been placed in the things around us so that we can see them. And his immutability is no different. Uh, on Friday morning, I, I, there was a news report. Um, the same exact thing happened in these five different cities all across the globe. In Los Angeles at 6.58 a.m., um, something happened in New York city at 6:57 AM. The exact same thing happened in Tokyo, Japan at 5 39 in the morning, they experienced it as well. And it made the news in Paris, France, 7:57 in the morning, all the Parisians experienced this exact same event. And, and I don't know if you saw it, it was in the news in Decatur on Friday morning at 6 56 AM. We experienced it too. Do you know what it was? It was the sunrise. Uh-huh. It was a sunrise. I, I was just sharing with staff this morning that since the days are getting a little bit shorter and I'm driving into work today, I actually saw the sunrise. And I'm so thankful to God for that because if like if the sun always came up at like 530 in the morning, I'd never see sunrises. Right? But in his great love and mercy for me, I get to see the sunrise this morning. And, and hear me what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is, is that the Lord is showing his permanence and his unchangingness in the fact that every Every single day the sun comes up. Every single day the sun comes out. And we're sensing it now as, as in the as seasons are changing, right? We're going into fall. How many people haven't turned on your furnaces yet? Right? It's a game we play. I'm gonna wait it out until November. Whatever. But you get in your car every morning and turn the heat on. I'm just saying. <laughs> right? So, but yeah, so after fall comes winter, winter comes spring, spring comes summer, and guess what happens? We do it again. And we do it again. And your grandparents before you, they, they saw the seasons change and they saw the sunrise every stinking day at the same time-ish, right? And the grandparents before them saw the same. You see what I'm trying to say? That there's an immutability and unchangeability of who God is that he reveals to himself, about himself to us in the things around us. Oftentimes, we're so distracted with a hundred other things happening in our world, we miss it. And today if we're going to be people who are building up our faith and our hope in God who is faithful to us, then the first thing we need to see is that God is unchanging. That he is unchanging. He is immutable. These natural events of seasons changing, days coming and going, they show God's immutability and even his faithfulness. The theologian A.W. Tozer writes this, that God's immutability presupposes his faithfulness Because if he is unchanging, it follows that he could not be unfaithful, since that would require him to change. When we look to the immutability of God, it's proving to us his, his unwavering faithfulness to us. In the Old Testament, God would do things for his people continually, time and time again. And as we read the story of God's people, they would oftentimes forget They would forget the good things that God has done, and they would begin to worship other gods, false idols, whatever, and God would allow some type of judgment to come upon them. They would repent, and they would turn back to God. And, oh, yeah, that's right. God was good. God was good. But in all of those fallings away that the people of Israel had, that the Jewish people had, God never once broke his covenant with them, that he's been faithful to them. And God has been faithful even to us through his son, Jesus Christ, because that was the promise that God has given all of humanity when sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter three, when the world fell and broke and sin entered, when Adam and Eve ate that apple, you know what I'm talking about, right? In that moment, when sin entered into the world, God promised that he was going to fix the world and he's going to do so through the seed of a woman, which is a weird way to say a lady's going to have a son, A woman's going to have a child, and that child will be the one to fix everything. Does anyone want to guess who that person is? Jesus. Jesus. Good answer. Gold star. I don't know who said it first. Mary? Gold star. Okay? That's the answer. And so God has been faithful to us in that since the beginning. And we're moving into this study now in the, the gospel of Luke. And before we can read today's passage, I needed us to understand this, because Luke is about to drop some heavy heavy information before us right now. And if you were if you were a first century Christian or first century Jew, the words that Paul speaks would have caused it would have elicited in you a physiological response. So let me just read a couple of verses in Luke chapter one and then I'll talk a little bit about, about what I'm saying here. Luke chapter one, verse five, it says this, and this is Luke writing about the Jesus, you know, whatever, this whole gospel here. It says, In the days of Herod the king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah in the division, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly, in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord Stop. So we're introduced to a couple of people. We're introduced to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, but we're also introduced to this guy named Herod, Most people think that Luke is giving us this sort of detail as an historical marker. So like all of this transpired when Herod was king. And that's true. We know that King Herod ruled Judea from around 37 to 4 BC. Right? We know that. And so now there's a marker of about about the time when Jesus was born or when John the Baptist was born, which is what we're studying today. But it's more than just that. Herod, you have to know, he was known for his colossal building programs. He rebuilt the second temple of of the Jewish people in in, uh, Jerusalem. He built pagan temples all through the city there. He he did a lot of building projects, and because of that, he taxed his people relentlessly. This is why when you read the New Testament and they talk about Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, everyone goes, boo, because everybody hates tax collectors, right? Because they were working for Herod the king. And he was also a cruel man. It's his way to the kingship. He thought some of his own family members were trying to take his kingship away from him, so he had them murdered. If you know the story of Jesus' birth, when the wise men come to Herod and say, hey, we heard there's a new king being born, Herod goes, excuse me? There's already a king, bro. And he finds out where Jesus was supposed to, be, to have been born in Bethlehem, and he, he sends his soldiers there to kill all of the young boys, two years and younger, so that he can wipe out Jesus. Fortunately, God rescued Jesus by a vision to his parents, and he went down to Egypt. This is called the murder of the innocents, that Herod was this guy. Thousands of two years and younger children, boys, were murdered, and there was weeping all through the land. Um, Herod was so cruel, he knew at his own death nobody would mourn for him. Nobody would be sad when he died, so he, he had this decree made, that when he dies, he asks his soldiers to go into the city and find distinguished men, people of finance, people of, of, of purity or whatever, people that are well-known, of well-repute in the city, he wanted to br- brought into the center of town and have them all killed, so at least there would be sadness that day that he died. Even it wasn't for him, he goes, as long as there's sadness somewhere, because I'm going to kill all these fathers and patriarchs of the, of the family. He was a cruel man, and when, when Luke is telling us this detail, if you're a first-century Jewish, or first century Christian, even, this is more than just a time stamp for you. This should rise a shudder up your spine. This is akin to him saying, in the days of Hitler, you feel that. Like if you were Jewish and they were talking about something that's happening, and this is when Hitler was ruling, all of a sudden you're paying attention just a little differently. All of a sudden it matters to you more. Herod is the king of Judea. And we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And and it tells us that they're righteous people, that they're good people. He's a priest. He's one of the sons of Aaron. Oh, okay. So even though this is a wicked time, God's doing something because we're introduced to a priest now. This is all the details that Luke is giving us to tell us a story. But we continue to read about this righteous couple that are blameless to the commandments and all the statutes of the Lord. But verse 7, it says this, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. Um, That's a polite way to say they were old. (laughs) Like if you get a birthday card and says, hey, you're advanced in years, they're just saying you're old and you won't be able to blow out the birthday candles on your cake is what they're saying. So in the middle of the story of this terrible time of Herod, the king, now we're introduced to a priest. Yay, yeah, God's doing something. And then a woman who's barren, like, wait, what? And all of a sudden, if you know the Old Testament stories, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is up to something. Because if you know the stories of the Old Testament, there were many women in the Old Testament who were barren. And God was faithful to them and gave them a son. If you know the story of Abraham and Sarah. That she was barren, and God promised them a son and gave them a son. There's Rebekah and Isaac, they were barren. And then there's Jacob and Rachel, and, and they were barren. And God promised a son and gave them a son. And, and Elkanah and Hannah, and she had, they had a son, Sam, Samuel. And then there's the, the mother of Samson was barren. And, and all of a sudden, we're getting this detail of a story that's drawing us into, yeah, things are dark, man. Things are, like, Herod's, like, terrible. But, but there's this couple And they're barren. And and now you're leaning into the story like, I know how this ends because because God does something with the barrenness of a woman. He gives promises to them, and and, then God does something through their lives. So now Luke is drawing us into the story of this couple that God is going to be faithful to them. God is going to be faithful to them. And and in so doing, we're drawn into the faithfulness of who God is. Elizabeth was barren. verse 8, we keep reading. It says, now while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside, outside at the hour of incense. Stop here. So at this time, roughly uh, approximately 18,000 to 20,000 sons of Aaron, they're priests. So if you're a son of Aaron, descendant of Aaron, you're a priest, okay? And because there were so many of them, they would take shifts at the temple to do their priestly duties. And so two times a year, they would go to the temple to do the, perform their priestly duties. And this is one of those times. So Zechariah's part or his Troop or whatever goes up to the temple to do their duties. And while he's there, there's always someone that goes in morning and at night to put incense on the altar of incense while the people pray outside. And if you read the Old Testament, just know this, that every time there's incense going up, this this is just a picture of the prayers of God's people. The incense. So when our prayers go up to God, it's like incense. Just picture that. So in morning and at night, they would send a priest in to put some incense on this altar, and the smoke would go up, and the people outside would be praying. Yeah, yeah, it'd kind of look like this, right? We'd be worshiping, we'd be praising, and then the incense, we have a smoke machine back here. Same type of thing, right? So so it's all... (laughs) Well done. (laughs) So, which is why we do it, just so you know it's biblical. Anyways, so... But Zechariah gets to go into the the temple and and they say, we can't just let politics decide who gets to go in. We can't just let favoritism decide who goes. So they chose lots. It's just the ancient way of letting God decide. It's like shortest straw gets to go or whatever. They roll dice and whoever wins. And they just believed that God was choosing the one. And and it just so happens that this barren couple that Luke is introducing us to, um, Lot, or sorry, the the Lot is chosen. that Zechariah gets to go into the temple and put incense on the thing. And so he walks into the temple. This is a lifetime experience. It's like a bucket list thing. Like not everyone gets to do this. You're lucky if you get to go. And God chooses him. Did I mention we're talking about the faithfulness of God? Yes, God chooses Zechariah, and he walks in behind the curtain into the holy place. Just, beside the, just behind another curtain is the holy of holies. Nobody goes in there. That's where God is. Like the high priest once a year goes in there to sprinkle blood on the altar for the sins of the people. That's it. That's a holy, holy place. But he's out here, and he walks in with his little incense. He starts to sprinkle it on the thing, and he sees something out of the corner of his eye. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Nobody's supposed to be in there, and there's somebody else in there. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Every time you read in scripture that somebody sees an angel, angel, they lose their mind. I'm just saying, right? They got to change their diaper. I'm just saying, it is a bad thing. There's fear. They don't know what's happening. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, this is all about John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, if you don't know, is the cousin to Jesus. And there's the whole story we're going to read in the next couple weeks when Jesus is born. It's all part of the story. But the picture that Luke is laying out for us is that he wants us to see the faithfulness of who God is. And so here's this barren couple, and all of a sudden he goes into this place, an angel from the Lord, a messenger, that's what angel means, it just means messenger, comes to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son. He says, he says specifically, your prayer has been heard. Now just pause for a moment. I wanna, what I'm going to do right here, I'm going to step away from my Bible. Everybody look at me. This is my Bible. This is true and, and trustworthy over here, okay? I'm going to step over here for a moment, because I want to tell you something that I think it, it might be true, but it's not from the Bible true, you know what I'm saying? Because verse 7 tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were old in in years, it's my thought that he probably prayed for his wife to have a child, right? But at some point, just kind of outgrew it, if you know what I'm talking about. Like, when you're 67 years old, is that still your prayer? Anyone? Anyone? Like, having kids is a young man's game. I'm just saying, right? It's it's a lot of work. (laughs) So my thinking here, and this is just me, is that the angel is saying, God has heard your prayer, but I think it's a prayer from a while ago, which just tells us this, that there's no expiration date on our prayers. Like when we pray things to God and we don't see them take place, it's not like they just disappear into the ethos or the ether or whatever. They're still there and God can still hear them. And I believe does hear them. And the angel comes to Zechariah and says, the Lord has heard your prayer. That he's prayed for his wife, that she's been barren. And in those days, if a wife was barren, secretly people talked behind her back. That it was considered, unfortunately, in in their days, that if the woman was barren, they they figured it was some type of sin condition in her. And even though Luke has told us that she was blameless and righteous before God through all the statutes of the law and the Lord, all that stuff, but the people wouldn't have seen her that way. They would have said, she's broken. She's a liar. She's an adulteress. She's something, but there's some reason God's cursed her with a a barren womb. And like every good husband, right? So, So Zechariah just prays for her, probably for years, maybe a decade or more, but nothing, nothing. And then one day, by chance, he goes to throw the incense on the altar, and an angel is standing there and says, the Lord's heard your prayers. Have I mentioned it all today that God is faithful? That he's faithful. He's always faithful. It's part of his immutability. He's unchanging. For him to be to lose or to not be faithful to us means he'd have to change, is what Tozer says. You shall call his name John, verse 13. Verse 14. And you will have joy and you will have gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, you think? <laughs> this is in this is insanity is what this is. Right? It's like great grandma and grandpa having children. It's like it's like what? What? This what? And then he begins to describe what John will be like verse 15. For this baby of yours he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or whiskey. Strong drink, that's my interpretation. Whiskey, I don't know. He's Southern Baptist, is what he's telling us here. <laughs> I don't. It's what he says it's right here, it's right here. He'll be a Southern Baptist. He won't drink strong wine or drink. Oh, he's not Southern Baptist because it says here he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, oh, come on, come on. Where's my love at for my Southern Baptist friends? Come on. Um, uh, uh, you should email me, jeff at rendicator.org, jeff at rendicator. I'll, I'll respond. Um, but he said John's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. It's an interesting little detail. We don't have time to go into all this stuff, but the, the, John is unique and special. In verse 16, it says, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Hmm? He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. He's going to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's a very strange statement that he's saying, this angel is saying about John. Um, Just know this, he's actually taking some verses from an Old Testament prophet named Malachi. And Malachi, when he was talking about the Messiah that was to come, he was talking about how this person Elijah would go before him. And and this is the story that Luke is entering us into. That a a barren woman named Elizabeth and her priest husband is going to have a child. And and he's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. And he's going to make ready the people of God for the Messiah to come, Jesus. The next chapter we read is the birth of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what the the prophet Malachi had said 400 years ago. And and Elizabeth and and Zechariah, they just find, find themselves thrust into this story. The story of God's faithfulness. He's going to do what He said He was going to do. He's going to use you to do so. Is what He's telling them. John's ministry, you know, he was the the John the Baptist. He's the guy that would go down to the River Jordan and he would baptize people into repentance. His ministry preceded Jesus and grew immensely. There's a story in Acts, the book of Acts, where um, some of the apostles are moving into areas and they're finding believers. And they're disciples of John. They're like, they, they, they're like I mean, way out, in, far away, they, they've heard of John's ministry and baptism. And they said, well, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? Have you heard about Jesus? And they fill in the rest of the details for him. But, but John's ministry was, was large, is what I'm trying to say. And that's what's going to happen to their child. And um, it's an encouraging thing if you're Zechariah. Anyways, moving on, verse 18. I still have some time. It says, Zechariah said to the angel, well, how shall I know this is going to take place? Like, Prove it to me. Like, he has doubt. He says, how do I know this is going to take place? I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Doesn't call her old, but you see what I'm saying? Right? She's got her own conditions. (laughs) That's pretty smart. Take note of that, men. Take note of that. In In verse 19, the angel answered him. Like, I don't know if sternly or what. You can read into this however you want. But he says, I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. Like I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And because you did not believe, behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Stop. So he doubts this message from God, and because of that, he he's struck mute. Now. Um, can I just give you something to take home with you that just might frustrate you to no end? I don't know why he was judged for his asking for a sign. Abraham, remember Abraham and Sarah, when she was barren and God says, you're going to have a child. He goes, yeah, how's that going to happen? How's this going to, he questioned back the angel of the Lord, but he didn't get judged. You guys know the story of Gideon in the Old Testament where he says he's going to do something great with him? He's like, well, I don't know if it's true or not. Let me throw out my fleece, if you know the story of Gideon, and let there be dew on it, right? But not out here. And then, and then does, still doesn't believe the Lord and says, okay, the next day let me throw out my fleece again. And this time let the dew be out here but not on the thing. And, like, he's asking for a sign. God didn't judge, God didn't judge them. Why is, why is Zechariah being judged? That's for you to figure out. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, you could do a dive in on YouTube and some other crazy stuff out there and probably come up with something. But think about that. All he asked was for a sign. Wouldn't you? (laughs) But besides that, I just love this, that he had this incredible experience with God and he comes out of it not being able to speak. For me, it parallels to things that happened in my life. I've had experiences with the Lord, right, that are so profound. When I try to explain it to other people, it's like I don't have the words to explain. it. Is anyone picking up this? I'm not, that's not what this is. I don't think that's what this is, but it reminds me of that. You ever have something so profound happen in your life, and when you just try to explain it to people, people just go, what are you trying to say? It's kind of like this. He saw Gabriel. There's only two angels mentioned in all of scripture, scripture. Two names of angel. There's many angels. There's Michael, the archangel. And there's Gabriel. And he met that dude. And he loses his voice because of his disobedience and disbelief. Anyways, keep reading. It says, verse 20. Oh, sorry. Behold, you'll be silent. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. So what's going on in there? Like, why is he taking so long? You just gotta sprinkle some stuff on the thing and then get out. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized, oh, he's had a vision. He's seen a vision in the temple. And they kept making signs to them, and he he remained mute. In verse 23, when his week was over, when his time of service was ended, he went home. Still unable to speak. Verse 24, it says, and after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. Ha <laughs> ha, take that, right? And it says, and for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I mentioned earlier that the people would have, townspeople would have treated her poorly because of her condition. Based on nothing that she had done, there was no hidden sin in her life. It was just the way it was, and, but the people just mistreated her because of it. And she kept herself hidden for five months. We don't know why that is exactly. It's possible that she was trying to avoid the people. And at five months, she's finally showing. And you could just see her like kick open the door. <laughs> right? She's probably wearing a half shirt. Says, <laughs> right? And some pants that say juicy on the back. I don't know. Anyone? Is that, is that picture in your mind now? Here comes Elizabeth, 90 years old, kicking open the door with her belly shirt, hanging out. I don't know if this is how it happens, but it's how it happens in, in my mind is when I read it. <laughs> I think it's great. But after five months, she's showing. Because why? Because God has been faithful. Have I mentioned to you at all today that God is faithful? Have I shared? Have I, I forgot to tell you guys that. God is faithful. Faithful. And he's faithful because he's immutable. He's unchanging. And he's made a covenant with his people, and he's going to fulfill the covenant. John is a part of that. He's going to come before the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus Christ, our lives are forever changed because God is faithful. When it comes to the idea of even our own salvation and our hope of our own piety, our own holiness, even God doesn't leave that unto us to handle Because if it's up to us, we'll fail at it miserably. So he leaves it up to himself, who's unwavering and faithful to us. And he gives us his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for us. The Bible tells us that because of sin, the punishment of sin, the penalty of sin is death. That you and I deserve eternal death because of our sin. But God is faithful, and he said he's going to deal with it. And he does so through his son, Jesus. And Jesus comes to the earth, born in a manger in Bethlehem, followed by his, or preceded by his cousin John the Baptist. He lives thirty some years, perfect and holy, and gives himself as a sacrifice for our um, benefit on the cross. That he takes the punishment of sin upon himself, dies on a cross. They bury him in the grave. How many people heard the story? But God raised him from the dead on the third day. He is risen. He is risen. That God is faithful. That God is faithful to do what he said he was going to do. And so every week when we gather here at Renaissance, we celebrate the work that Jesus has done. People all all the time, man, you guys sing an awful lot about Jesus here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you picked up on that, did you? It's all because of him. It's all about Jesus. When When we open scriptures and read it, we try to talk about Jesus all the time. And you might say, Jeff, this, this passage didn't even mention Jesus. I'm like, yeah, I did. You just read it wrong. It's all about Jesus. He's in there. This is all take, this is talking about the faithfulness of God. And who's the faithful one? Jesus Christ. I, um, we've mentioned several times today, even in worship, and I, I suspect it's because the Lord is wanting to say something to us, that many of us are carrying heavy things. There are hard things for us. I don't know if it's a medical thing, it's a family thing, it's a financial thing, dude. I don't need to know, okay? I'm just saying, I know many of us are going through something only because, I think TJ mentioned it, Jess mentioned it while we were singing. There's some stuff, and we just, okay, hear me. God wants to talk to you about his faithfulness. Yes, things are hard. Yes, right? And some of the things, the hard things you're going through, they're actually not your fault. Like, so many of you are just beating yourself up because you think, well, if I'd have just done this different," like, probably, I don't know. Yes, and you are a moron, I agree. All the things, <laughs> right? All of us are sometimes. All of us. But some of the stuff that you're going through, for some people, it's not your fault. It's just the way it is. This wasn't Elizabeth's fault. It's just the way it was. And God was faithful. He was faithful to her. And the story Luke invites us into, in the middle of heaviness, in the middle of dark times, in the time when Herod was king of Judea, God's faithfulness shone through. Whew. If you have a hard time seeing it, let me, let me just give you the words of a young, red-headed, curly-headed theologian named Annie. When she said, the sun will come out tomorrow. All right, all right. (laughs) But it's true. In Matthew chapter 4, it says this, that when Jesus was born, he says, the people were living in darkness and a light shone among them. That all of us are are, are living in darkness and a light, Jesus Christ, has come. He's come, dude. Man, I'm telling you, it's like, ah, it's happening. It's like it is. It's Jesus. It's hard. I know it's hard. God is faithful. Did I mention that at all today? God is faithful. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your unwavering, unchanging immutability. Lord, thank you for being constant, the one constant in our life. When the world around us just churns and turns and just gets crazy, Lord, you're always constant. In the parable of the builder, it says that the the wise man builds his house upon that which is stable, the rock of Jesus Christ. The foolish man builds his house on on sand, on on things that aren't stable. So Lord, we come before you today. We ask that you help us to be people who build our lives, our homes upon you. On everything that we do, Lord, when we go to school, we go to classes, we're asking, Lord, that you would go with us and we would see your faithfulness there. And we'd be able, we would see the truth of how you're leading us and caring for us and loving us. When we go to work, Lord God, help us to see your faithfulness even there. Maybe that's one thing that the Lord would want us to see is that our, even that we have a job is showing his faithfulness to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Maybe for those looking for work, be encouraged that the Lord is faithful just to, to build your, your hopes upon him, and to trust him to worship him. And until you find that job, don't hold back your worship because he hasn't done something good for you because God is good whether you're seeing it or not. And you don't hold back your worship from him. And And you just declare your praises to him and watch God be faithful for others with medical concerns. And there is a lot of people in the church I know personally who are having medical concerns. God is faithful to us. God can heal. Say amen. And even when he doesn't, he's faithful. He is. He is. He's always fa- He's never not faithful. So, Lord, we thank you for that. God, we ask that you would bring us back to a place of remembrance to use, like, like Luke is saying, just, just to remind yourself of what the situation was really like when God broke through. When God broke through and light shone. You need to know how dark it was, and God was a rescuer, and God is doing that in our lives right now. God is doing that in the lives of the people in this church. I'm 100% convinced of it. God is doing that in my life. I've been walking with the Lord, as I mentioned earlier, for almost three decades, and I'm I'm experiencing things with the Lord that I've never experienced in all my life. When I'm praying, I'm seeing answers to prayer like I've never seen in all my life. (laughs) When I'm reading scripture, I'm, I'm understanding things like I've never understood in all of my life. God has been faithful to me. And so Lord, just open up, open up the floodgates of, of faith of uh, um, your faithfulness to us so that we can have hope and we can have faith in you, Lord. That we be more than people of optimism, but we be people of faith. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at Rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.